Well, good morning. I'm uh, Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. And I also want to say thank you for coming. Um, What a great morning we've already had. And if you have been engaged at all with the scriptures and the songs, there's really nothing more that I can add. But I'm not going to take a vote if you want me to speak or not. But, uh, you know, just the call that we've heard through readings and songs about uh, responding to the graciousness of God with the being of a life and uh, being present in the world, uh, part of his church. Uh, it's been a, a powerful, exciting uh, morning for me already. And bless his heart, she arose this morning. Hi, Dale, for him, except for a keyboard, for which we're very grateful you were there, Judy. Um, I want to pray for you, and then we're going to get into uh, some reflections. I'll be reading in a few moments from the last chapter of the book of Acts. So Acts 28 will be there in just a minute. Let me pray for you. Father, there's already been so many things for us to consider about what does it mean for you to be Lord and for us to be followers, for you to be a redeemer, for us to carry that message to look to bless the world and be fuel for you to consume in that effort. Our prayers, the refrain Jerry just sang, Lord, would you let us shine like a moon? You're the sun. You're the one that brings it all. But we want to reflect your glory. We want those that Come around our lives to get a taste of you. And so that end would have your way with us today. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm, I'm wrapping up a series of talks today that we've been uh, talking about the church. And today we're talking about how much influence God gives the church. We've been remarking, how can you explain the history of the church? If you do any reflecting on history and you consider how it is that things transpire and how there are certain things that are able to sustain and so on. I mean, there have been so many charismatic, religious, Messiah types through the years. Most of the time, their influence doesn't last more than a generation. Sometimes uh, the better part of a century, people are aware of them or have some, some knowledge of them. How in the world do you explain the life in the ministry and the influence of Jesus and the followers of Jesus, historically, sociologically, anthropologically, there's just not good explanations unless you put the God factor in there and that God's up to something and and that God brought about this remarkable resurrection. A man comes back to life and in doing so launches a movement that is called church. And we've been clarifying all along the way, we're not talking about an institution, we're not talking about an organization, we're not talking about this collection of offices and officers and so on like that. We're talking about this this breath of God that's been expelled upon this planet and continues to make its presence known around the globe through the church. And it's all birthed and launched out of this resurrection event. Like... Two months after Jesus resurrects, there's 10,000 followers of him. 
in the city of Jerusalem. This is like 10% of the population almost overnight becomes captivated and begins to be transformed and overwhelmed by who Jesus is and what Jesus is about in them and through them. Persecution begins to arise both politically and religiously because this, this thing is rocking the world, rocking the apple cart, if you will. And so they begin to try to suppress it. They begin to try to, try to stamp it out, but they cannot. And in, in the dispersion of people, as they're fleeing from the persecution, like a wildfire, it's just spreading the movement. And little ecclesias, little churches, little gatherings of people who are caught up in the movement are happening all over the known world at that time. The chief persecutor, the chief oppressor, of course, is a guy named Saul, who also becomes a follower of Jesus. We know him as Paul, and he becomes like the point man for how this movement moves out of a Jewish community into the greater non-Jewish world, the Gentile world. And it cannot be stopped. It just, I mean, the guy is uh, imprisoned, he's stoned, he's beaten, uh, he's uh, threatened with execution. They do everything to stifle this guy and to stifle the movement that he's a part of, and they cannot. Eventually, in 67 AD, when he's in Rome, Nero puts him to death. Right? Silence the movement. Except it totally backfired. And the movement just continued to explode past Paul and his personal ministry while he was in this world. Ultimately, by the time you get to the fourth century, the better part of the world is Christian. Even the emperor claims to follow Christ. And something remarkable, uh, historical, global, has taken place. Now, granted, there have been some really, really dark days around the church, right? I mean, you get into the Middle Ages, you start looking at what happened around the Crusades and a lot of the misguided efforts all in the name of Jesus that took place there. Various inquisitions, uh, most notorious, the Spanish Inquisition. You get into uh, a whole series of ungodly church leaders who usher in uh, heretical theologies and, and skew what the gospel and what the church is all about. You get into this awful abuse of indulgences where the wealthy are seemingly able to buy their salvation and buy their forgiveness. And so there was this incredibly dark period. And, um, you know, what can you say other than uh, there were significant efforts to try to derail the church, the movement of God, what, what the gospel is going to be all about. But even so, there had always been a remnant. There had always been some number of people that got it. That were still a part about what God was doing. So that more sick people were cared for by Christians than by any other group. Hospitals begun all over the place by Christians than by any other group. The tending to educational needs by Christians more than any other group. Establishing educational institutions by Christians more than any other group. The feeding of the hungry. The uh, tending to the homeless. I mean, there are entire societies that had a value to keep those as outcasts rather than to care for them in some kind of 
compassionate way. But not so with Christians. Uh, seeing to orphans and providing uh, adoptions and orphanages all over the world, more so than any other group in all of history. Uh, leading to the abolition of slavery, first in Europe and eventually in America. It's been the church. It's been the followers of Jesus. It's been the movement that's continued to make these kinds of impact. And uh, I, I gave more illustration about that last Sunday. And if you were not here last Sunday, I'd really encourage you to go online and check that out or pick up one of the CDs when you leave. But the point of all that is this, friends. There has been a baton, a, a church baton handed off generation to generation to generation where new sets of believers began to uh, continue the movement. And now it's our turn. It's our turn to, as a church, collectively be the arms of Christ around this city, around the east side of Seattle, around the Puget Sound region, to collectively, as a church, get our arms around the northwest and around this country and around this world. In the name of Christ and for the sake of his gospel, for redemption and salvation and ultimately for glory to God. It's our turn. Now, that sense of it being our turn was what was at the founding of this church 20-something years ago. And we recognized that there were a number of congregations, as is the proclivity of all churches. There are a number of congregations that had kind of succumbed to becoming inwardly focused and how do we take care of us and ours. But this church was begun with a DNA that said we will not, we will not, we will not focus inwardly. Yeah, we'll care for each other. Yes, we'll love one another. Yes, we'll be there for one another to edify and to meet needs and to care and to be community and so on like that. But we said this will be a community that will perpetually have an outward focus who has yet to know Christ? Who is yet to be connected to God through the saving work of the cross? And we took the counsel of the brother of Jesus, James, the first pastor of the Jerusalem church, who said, we should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. So let's don't create a bunch of hoops. Let's don't create a bunch of traditions and rituals that kind of get in the way of people being able to come up close and get personal with God and draw near to Him. And so from the very first day, it's been a part of our DNA. How do we just be real? How do we be authentic? How do we be welcoming? And many of you have found from the first day, you, you began to feel a sense of belonging here. There weren't a bunch of hoops for you to be able to get involved and to be a part of the life that's going on here. And we continue to try to be faithful to the influence that God has given us through these years. Now, some of you are aware, for, what, for reasons that God knows, He's given this little congregation a lot of influence. I mean, uh, we were one of the first church plants in this area to kind of have the DNA that I've just described. And it, and it really kind of opened the door for a lot of other church plants that have happened since. We, there had not been much church planting happen before we came. 
And now in uh, the 21 years that we've been around, there's been about 80 church plants to take place, some of which we had a very close, a personal uh, kind of connection with and involvement with. Some we had a little less, but we've had an involvement with all 80 of those plants. Uh, We've consulted with many of those church planters, and we've done some discipling things, some training things. Many have come through these doors and sat in these services just to check out what's going on here and how does it happen here. Uh, Consulting on worship matters and technology matters and ecclesiological matters and so on like that. And, uh, you know, remarkably, God's given us influence in this city. God's given us influence in an entire region. Because of who you are and how you conduct yourself as a church. I uh, was asked to serve as a lead pastor to our association of some 170 churches in Puget Sound. And I did that for three years. And some of you know that in our greater circle of churches, a convention of about 450 churches, they asked me to serve as a lead pastor for a couple of years. And I'm just about to conclude that two-year commitment. But aside from who we are collectively and the influence that we have collectively, you've got that influence individually. God has strategically placed you within a family system, within a work environment, in social circles, in a neighborhood. And your life has influence. People pay attention to who you are and to the reality of God that you say is a part of who you are. And so today is about reminding ourselves of that influence. Because influence is stewardship. And stewardship is a matter of how do we handle, how do we manage something that doesn't really belong to us, it belongs to somebody else, but they've allowed us to make use of it. How do we use that well? That's what stewardship's all about. And God has given us influence. And so as stewards, how do we handle the influence he's given us well? I want to ask you if you'll handle that influence in these kinds of ways. Will you be bold with your conversations? The power of personal connection. The power of our being able to listen to people and share and talk with people. God has given us a remarkable influence to take place through conversations. Will you not waste your conversations? Will you not miss how important and how pregnant they are with possibility? There's no question in my mind that God has placed some people in my life, in my circles, That I am the only voice in a positive way for Christ that they hear. They hear a lot of other voices. They hear a lot of other messages that work against the gospel finding root in their heart. And and there's no question in my mind, there's there's a few people in my life, I'm the only positive voice they've got. And I feel the stewardship of that. And then there's some other people, I'm one of just a few voices, four or five voices that God's using positively in their life. The same thing is true for you. Will you use your voice, your conversations, boldly, not obnoxiously, 
not offensively. I mean, just the whole matter of the cross is offensive enough. Uh, you don't have to add your own peculiarities to that. Will you be bold with your conversations? Will you be bold with your service? See, when, when you're making choices on how you're going to give your life away, how you're going to pour yourself out for the sake of others uh, to meet needs, to make a difference, to care, to show compassion, and so on like that, people are like, what, what are you doing that for? What's that all about? And it gives you opportunity for bold conversations. Now, some of our service happens outside of these walls, and we're able to go make a difference in a variety of little communities. Uh, whether it's a, a housing community down the street or it's something that's going on down in Seattle or so many other things like that. And then there's a lot of opportunity for you to serve within the family of God, within this congregation. And some of you serve so diligently and serve so well, it's like you wear four or five different hats of service. And you're constantly giving your life away and pouring your life out in, in uh, a variety of ways. And I just can't tell you how much that means to me, how that stirs me, how that inspires me. When we were singing Fuel just a few moments ago, I mean, some of you come to mind that you just give your life. God is just getting to consume you like fuel for his mission. And it's awesome. And then there's some others of you that are, you know. You're trying this out a little bit. You're trying that out a little bit. You're trying to figure it out. And I affirm that. I, I bless you in the name of Christ for trying to figure out how does he want to use my life? How does my service make a difference? And then there's some others of us, friends, that we're just not in the game. We're just not engaged. And if that is because you have been engaged and you're in a season now where you're kind of having to replenish, that's fine. We affirm and we uh, bless when you have to have a season to renew and replenish, okay? But for some, we're not engaged and we never have been engaged. And I just want to say this is a day because it's our turn to be church, to be the movement, to see the things God wants to do. It's time for you to jump in there, roll up a sleeve, get in there and, and give your life away with some of the rest of us. And then this is a day to be bold with your giving. Now, let me hasten to say what I always say anytime the G word comes up. We don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. I mean, God's brought some people into this fellowship that are so generous that are so gracious, that are so sacrificial in their giving, we have been able to meet every single financial goal and everything that God asks us to do that takes money. We've been able to do it all. And so I'm not saying anything to you today because we've got some need and it just ain't going to happen if you don't give. I'm not talking about that. And certainly God doesn't need your money. You need to be bold in your giving. Jesus said more about giving than he did any other one topic. Because he knew at what point in the heart money and stuff and possessions have on us. And we need to be bold in our giving because of the change it brings to us. You will never be able to trust 
God broadly and deeply until he deals with you on the giving issue. It's that tightly connected. And when you begin to practice biblical means of giving, like proportional giving, and I don't care where you start. I mean, pray about it. And maybe God says start at 3%, 5%, 7%, I don't care. Just begin to proportionally give as God has given to you and see what he does with your faith. See what he does with your sense of trust in him. See what he does in the transformation of who you are as a generous person. And I'm talking about beyond your family. I'm not talking about how can I be more generous with my kids and my grandkids and all that. I'm talking about just a generous person in general. And if you're already a proportional giver, then to kick that up to that biblical standard called tithe. And some of you have been tithing, and that's fantastic. God calls you beyond that. Some of us have been giving beyond the tithe for a long time. And we're grateful that he works in us in those kinds of ways that we can be generous. Paul admonished, get to the point where you can be hilarious, cheerful about your giving. Be bold. And then finally I'll say, be bold with prayer. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but let me just say it to you this way. Keep praying about, you know, getting good grades at school. Keep praying about getting a job. Keep praying about your finances being met. Keep praying for your friends and relatives that are sick that God would do some healing in them. That's fantastic. That's great. But add to that bold praying. For God to intervene in the lives of people all around us. Boldly pray that God would do something extraordinary in the circumstances of somebody around your life. So that it it awakens them to who He is and that He is here and available for relationship with them. Boldly pray for opportunities to engage in the conversation. So, uh, this past week I was in a meeting, and I can only say that I'm in this meeting because God has seen fit to give me stewardship with this opportunity. Uh, But I'm actually an advisor to a professional group of 20-somethings. Crazy, isn't it? Old guy. And so, we're having a dinner meeting this past week. And uh, after we had talked about some business-related things, uh, we started talking about, is is there some kind of fun thing coming up that we might want to do and and expand our fellowship with each other and things like that? None of these guys go to church. Well, one of them goes to church. Uh, And so some of the values that are my values, your values, and and mission that I'm on, that's nowhere in the picture, right? And so uh, somebody brings up, well, on September 17, uh, there's going to be a tailgate party for the Husky game. They're playing away, but uh, there's going to be this big gathering of food and big screens and all that. Why don't we, why don't we go and do that? Uh, and so we were, we were talking about that, and we were knocking around. It sounded like fun. And then all of a sudden, it just hit me. And so I said... Well, you know what? Uh, I could probably check that out for a little while, but I've got another commitment that's happening on the 17th. You're not going to believe this. And I began to tell a story that a lot of you already know. I said, there's a gal in our church who is crazy about her birthday. And every time it's her birthday, the world knows, and it's a big celebration for her, and it's, you know, about uh, her having a lot of fun around her own life and so on like that. But this year, for reasons that God knows, it began to get on her heart that maybe she ought to have a birthday experience that blesses other people. 
And she's already been involved in some Saturday experiences where she goes down to Seattle and gives away some sack lunches and some supplies and things like that. She's already been building some relationship with a few homeless people in Seattle. And on that day, she's going to have a birthday party for homeless people in Seattle. Jaws dropped all around the table. They're like, what? I said, yeah, yeah. And, and not only that, but it's going to be a nice dinner. It's going to be catered. It's going to be like nice tables and tableware and all this kind of stuff. And everybody gets a gift bag when they leave. Can you believe that? Just because she wants to kind of say, hey, I care about you and so does God. Now, what am I saying? And by the way, Becky, I don't know. Where are you? Thanks for doing that. It's going to be a great day. I'm looking forward to it. But the point in all that is this. I'm, I'm grateful that God moved in Becky's life in that kind of way that we got this kind of... Just so I could talk about Jesus. It gave me the perfect excuse to just sprinkle a little salt on a conversation that was of little significance up to that point. Will you be bold in your conversations, in your service, in your giving, in your praying? Let me wrap it up this way. Because we've been going through the book of Acts and we've been highlighting some things that God's been doing, not only through the church, but through Paul. So as we get toward the end of Paul's life and the end of the book of Acts, he gets in trouble with the authorities again just for doing gospel stuff. Okay, so he's arrested and it's going badly. And it looks like he's going to be on the wrong side of how the verdict turns up. And so he plays his citizenship card. You know the story. If you don't, you'll want to go back and read the last two or three chapters of Acts. And so uh, the citizenship card means, uh, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't just do this verdict on me like you're about to do. I appeal this to Rome. It's kind of like saying I want to appeal to the Supreme Court. And so he had the right to do that. And so... Trial's over. He's, uh, you know, in secure custody, and he's being whisked away from the Middle East to Rome. Now, if you know about Paul and you can remember some of the writings of his letters, he'd been wanting to go to Rome for a long time, right? So he'd been writing letters saying, hey, I'm going to come see you one of these days. God willing, I'm going to get out there and we're going to do some stuff and all this kind of He'd been wanting to go for a long time. How do you do that? How do you get to go to Rome? How do you arrange for all the different passages to get there? How do you pay for the whole thing? Well, just get arrested and let the government take you there. So that was his strategy, I guess. And so uh, he appeals to Rome and they, they ship him off and send him to Rome. Now, you're looking at a map about how he got there. And it was a very difficult trip. Uh, he could have died, you know, more than once. And they were shipwrecked. And uh, they show up amongst these barbarian type people. And he gets bit by snakes. And there's all kinds of wild stuff going on. But he still ends up in Rome. Sovereignty of God. God warned him there. The sovereignty of God is at work around your life and around your circumstances all the time. So he gets to Rome. And when he gets to Rome, he gets there before his charges catch up to him. So how long is it going to take the charges that had been taking place in this court to get all the way over to Rome? Can you believe? Two years. And so he is under house arrest. That means he's got this nice little house that has a guard there that kind of you know, watches him every day. 
And he, he doesn't know how long he's going to be there. But as it turned out, it turned out to be two years. Well, when he shows up in Rome and they put him under house arrest, the story says that after he'd been there for three days, he sent out a communication to all the Jewish leaders that were around the city of Rome. And uh, he said, uh, I'd love to have a meeting with you. And they had not heard of him. They didn't really know what his stuff was. But they had heard a lot about this sect called Jesus followers or the way. And so they were like, hey, we want to know more about that. Yes, we'll come. So all the leaders, all the Jewish leaders came to Paul's house after he'd been there for three days. And the text says he began to speak to them. He began to teach them from the morning until night about the gospel. And he began with Moses and the law and taught them the gospel. And then he got into the prophets and showed how the gospel was a part of what the prophets were all about. And then he gets into the life of Jesus and the church. And he's looking around the room and there's a few guys that are nodding up and down and some became believers. But he sees the majority of them shaking back and forth and he knows they're not buying it. They're not getting it. And so he goes on to tell them this is, this is very serious about how you're hearing this right now. Because the fact of the matter is, you're not getting it, but the Gentiles are. And God is taking this great gift, this great news, and He's just taking it right to the Gentiles because you're rejecting it. So let's finish up the book of Acts with these last three verses. Verse 28, Therefore, let it be known to you, He's talking to all those Jewish leaders that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And he lived there two whole years at his own expense and he welcomed all who came to him. Can you imagine this? Every day, the guy's got people coming to him. God gives him favor. God gives him reputation. God gives him influence. And every day he's having the opportunity to have conversations. Every day he's having the opportunity to serve. Every day he's having the opportunity to give his life away. He's there at his own expense. He's paying for all this stuff himself. Every day he's praying for God to do mighty things and mighty things are happening. So he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all. And what's the word? Boldness and without hindrance. The church. Yeah, she's been a mess from time to time, been beat up and been off track and somewhat crazed and dysfunctional from time to time. But all in all, she is the bride of Christ. She is for whom Jesus dies. She is the steward of the influence of Jesus and the mission of Jesus and the authority to carry out the work, the ministry, the compassion of Jesus. So, as I said, will you be bold? This is our turn. Let's do it together. Let's pray. 
So, Father, you knew who would be here today and who would be listening to this talk now or later. There are things that you are about right now that your spirit is pricking and stirring the heart about. Oh, God, by the power of your spirit, would you find effectiveness in our heart? Would you break our heart? Would you make it cultivated soil that the seed of your word finds deep root? And we become men of God and women of God. The church of God makes a difference in this world. Oh God, like a moon, would you let us shine? Shine for you.